It's Wednesday, March 25th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. As hospitals brace for an influx of patients with COVID-19, they are already running low on critical medical supplies. Face masks and other protective equipment are in very short supply, and despite tapping into the strategic national stockpile, it seems that there will not be enough to go around. In the meantime, hospitals and medical workers are looking to the administration for guidance. Tolu Olorunipa, White House reporter at the Washington Post, joins us for more. Next, the 2020 Tokyo Olympics have officially been postponed until sometime next year. Now comes the big problems, handling the logistics of moving everything, all the money that has been poured into the game so far, and what happens to the athletes who still need to stay in tip-top shape for the games. David Mack, editor at BuzzFeed News, joins us for how coronavirus has impacted the biggest sporting event so far. Finally, as many people are working remotely from home, they are closer than ever to a fully stocked fridge and pantry due to all that panic buying. It could be harder than ever to avoid eating all day, but now is the time to set a good eating schedule, keep using fresh produce, and try not to eat pasta the whole time. Hilary Potkowitz, contributor to the Wall Street Journal, joins us for how to avoid eating too much while working from home. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Volunteerism is nice, and it is a beautiful thing. And it's nice that these companies are coming forward and saying they want to help. That is not going to get us there. And I do not, for the life of me, understand the reluctance to use the Federal Defense Production Act. Joining us now is Tolu Olorunipa, White House reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Tolu. Good to be here. Thank you. Wanted to check in and talk about how hospitals are faring during this time of the coronavirus pandemic. We're hearing that a lot of hospitals are either running short now or will be short of critical medical supplies that they need. Masks and other protective equipment are very high on the list. Ventilators, obviously, that we're looking at as more and more cases start coming through and depending on how severe the cases are. So a lot of hospitals are looking to the Trump administration or what to do in this time. I know there's been talk about using the Defense Production Act in this time as well. Tolu, tell us about it. Hospitals, especially in hard-hit areas, hard-hit states, are really crying out for help from the federal government. They say that they could run out of critical medical equipment within days, and they are calling on the Trump administration to provide some of this equipment that they need. Now, there are a couple different ways that they're asking the Trump administration to take action. One is there already is a federal stockpile of some of this equipment, whether it's ventilators or masks, the federal government has stockpiled some of these equipment for an emergency situation. And these hospitals, these doctors, these state officials are saying, this is an emergency situation. We need that stockpile to be sent across ASAP. New York is one state that's calling for the federal government to provide that equipment from that stockpile as soon as possible. Another thing that they're asking for is for the president to use his authorities under the Defense Production Act to compel private companies to provide some of this equipment, whether it means ramping up the supply lines in the private sector, getting some of these private companies to ramp up their efforts to provide some of this product, or even taking over some of the supply chains from the private sector. The Defense Production Act gives the president broad authorities to even basically commandeer private plants and private sector companies and tell them that you need to buy edict, provide this equipment, even though the government would pay for it, but it would 
essentially nationalized for a time being these companies and tell them that they had to provide ventilators or masks for hospitals. Yeah, actually, Tuesday, for the first time, the administration is enforcing the Defense Production Act to procure about 60,000 coronavirus test kits. But there's a couple of parts to that, too. One is the production elements, but there's also distribution elements that a lot of states are calling for. I think New York has been kind of at the forefront of this because we can produce a lot of other stuff. But I think it was Governor Andrew Cuomo who said then it becomes a situation where states are competing for those supplies and they would like them to also take charge of the distribution element so that FEMA can appropriately apportion what the supplies that are needed to states that need them more, like New York, who's kind of becoming this epicenter for coronavirus in the United States right now. Yeah, we've heard Governor Cuomo almost on a daily basis make this statement, basically, that even though there are various forms of equipment out there, to get them is the hard part because states are competing against states. Some states are competing against governments in other countries, competing against the private sector. And I say this is where President Trump could step in, use his authority as the leader of the federal government and the authority given to him under the Defense Production Act and sort of streamline this process so that states aren't competing against each other, states aren't competing against the federal government. He would tell the private sector compliers, this is what you need to do. These are the contracts you need to fill. This is not necessarily giving them a specific price to give, but at least there would not be price competition between different states or price competition between the states and the federal government. It would cause the supplier to provide the equipment at the price for under their contracts with a specific state or with the federal government and then allow the federal government to provide those pieces of equipment to the states. So they're looking for a more centralized streamlined effort so that there's not as much chaos within the system. It's not yet clear that the president wants to do that. We've heard him a couple of times say the federal government is not a shipping clerk and that these states should be going out and getting this equipment on their own. So it remains to be seen whether he will have a change of heart at some point. We're reading a lot of stories about healthcare workers having to reuse masks. And there's extreme cases and extreme stories on certain ends, but some of them, they say, hey, we're going to give you a mask. You got to keep it clean yourself and use it for the whole week, things like that. And I know the CDC is working on guidance for how the hospitals can stretch out the use of this equipment, but tell us how hospitals are operating with this in the meantime. The hospitals are following this guidelines from the CDC, including guidelines that came out last week, saying that doctors and health officials should use bandanas if they run out of masks. And even the CDC said that that's not a proven way to protect themselves, but in the worst case scenario, you should use a homemade mask or a bandana. So They are doing the best they can. They're reusing masks. Some are trying to see if there's a way that you can disinfect the masks, reuse them, use them for a long period of time and not replace them as they normally would. It's really dire straits for a number of these hospitals in key states, and they're looking to the federal government to try to fill that gap because a lot of doctors have said publicly that they can't continue to treat patients without the protective equipment that they need. And if we do start to see a ramp up in doctors and health officials coming down with this virus, that could really put a chill in the system and make it hard for other health officials to want to treat people who have this highly contagious virus if they feel that they're not protected enough. So it is sort of a red alarm for these hospitals and for the government to provide what's needed to make sure that people feel safe as they're treating these coronavirus patients. Tolu Olorunipa, White House reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you.
the teams from Canada and Australia be the first to announce that they won't go send their athletes to Tokyo because they were worried about the uh, threat posed by the coronavirus. But up until now, uh, IOC and the Japanese Olympic Ministry had been sort of adamant that this was going to go ahead. They weren't even at least publicly entertaining the idea of changing the games. Joining us now is David Mack, editor at BuzzFeed News. Thanks for joining us, David. My pleasure. So we finally got some news that we were expecting a little bit more in recent days. The 2020 Tokyo Olympics have been postponed for about a year. We don't know exactly when they'll come back just yet, but they were set to begin on July 24th. And amid this whole coronavirus pandemic, it just seemed all but certain that we had to shut it down. Although there was a lot of reluctance by the International Olympics Committee. David, tell us about this new announcement. It did seem somewhat inevitable with sort of major international events, one after the other, and big sporting tournaments get shut down over these last month or so. And the Olympics, as you said, were looming in July. And it just did seem like there was no way that this could possibly go ahead. Yesterday, you had the teams from Canada and Australia be the first to announce that they won't go send their athletes to Tokyo because they were worried about the uh, threat posed by the coronavirus. But up until now, uh, IOC and the Japanese Olympics ministry had been sort of adamant that this was going to go ahead. They weren't even at least publicly entertaining the idea of changing the games. But of course, we had Shinzo Abe have a conversation, the Prime Minister of Japan rather, have a conversation with the head of the IOC, Thomas Bach, today. And he emerged to announce that, as you said, the games are being put off for about a year, it seems like. As you said, no proper date just yet. But the IOC and the Japanese have agreed that they will be held by next summer at the latest. And of course, that is going to have major repercussions for the international sporting calendar. This is the first time that this has really happened where it's been postponed by anything other than war, basically. World War One and World War Two impacted some of the games at that time. These games will still be called Tokyo 2020, despite happening in 21. There's probably just the simplicity element there of all the branding that's already yeah. been printed and organized for not just the Japanese, but media companies around the world and things like that. So uh, I think probably to save the Japanese a bit of money, I've already spent at least about $26 billion on these games. They're going to let them still call the games 2020. <laughs> and as you said, this is the first time that the timing of the games has been impacted by anything other than a war. I think they canceled the games during the World Wars. There were the famous boycotts during the Olympics during the Cold War, but we've never had anything, a public health crisis, postpone an Olympic Games before. You mentioned $26 billion so far that Japan has probably put into this, but it's not just Japan themselves. I know NBC always hosts the Olympics here back home and, and then broadcasts all that stuff. So there's a lot of money tied up there. There's a lot of money tied up in advertisements. There's a lot of money tied up in endorsements for athletes themselves that this stuff will have to be put on hold for a year, probably. The uh, Japanese were expecting $2 billion in tourism revenue to come through on this. So putting this on hold at this crazy time right now is just a huge impact. And of course, Japan has been hit by coronavirus cases like everyone else in the world. So they've got a lot of money to spend on that and their health system at the moment as well. But I think, as you said, it's kind of important when you watch the Olympics and you get caught up in the spectacle and the sport, that of course, it is a huge money-making machine for the media markets around the world and the sporting, as you said. Think of all the advertisers that are paying to have their brands associated with the Olympics and to use the Olympic rings on things like that. We're going to be seeing a major impact in terms of just sort of chaos uh, on the international media market as they scramble to sort of reschedule things for currently we don't know when. 
some point in the next year. And in terms of advertising and sponsorship, as you said, NBC had paid, I think, the biggest amount for any broadcaster in the world. And there was discussion before today that potentially the games could be pushed back maybe a few months, maybe held in another country and, you know, at another time. But of course, you know, NBC obviously um, would impact the coverage of US football if we said that that was going to happen in the six months. That would conflict with their TV calendar as well. So everything was kind of planned sort of years and years out. And this is a, we're just a couple of months out now to sort of have to scramble to change everything is going to be a lot of work, that's for sure. The Tokyo Games were anticipated to be one of the largest yet. More than 11,000 athletes from 206 countries, 33 sports, 339 medal events. It's a lot. But for the athletes themselves, you know, they're training so that they're at their peak once this is happening. This all kind of throws that for a loop. Now they have to keep this peak training period that they need to be at their best for the games has to be extended a year. Who knows how people's bodies hold up for another year? Rescheduling of Olympic trials, things like wrestling and swimming, those had to be postponed already. Running of the marathon, that's already been done. Do they redo those again? There's so much that has to go into just that part of it with the athletes. That's exactly right. I mean, I'm having a hard enough time working out in my apartment in coronavirus lockdown. I I think of these guys who have to make sure that they're staying in peak physical performance now, or at least get back to it in time for the next games. It's going to be a lot of work there. But I think, as you said, the interesting thing as well is just how much sort of chaos this is going to cause on the international sporting calendar as all the federations and associations of athletics and swimming and gymnastics and anything else in between have to try to either work out what's going to happen, not just with the qualifying events for the Games, but the things that were scheduled for next year as well. And the tournaments and the soccer tournaments and the basketball tournaments that were scheduled for next year in what was supposed to be a non-Games year. It's all going to be up in the air and have to get replanned. David Mack, editor at BuzzFeed News. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. I talked to a bunch of nutritionists and dietitians and chefs to try and figure out what's the best way to curb that constant comfort grazing or just eating out of boredom. And the one thing that all of them said is to make a schedule. Joining us now is Hillary Potkowitz, contributor to The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Hillary. Sure. Wanted to talk about some other life aspects that are going on while everybody is practicing safe and appropriate social distancing. In a lot of cases, people are working from home remotely if they can, and working from home, wherever you're at, in your home office, in your living room, wherever you're at, you're not too far away from the refrigerator, and there's this situation where people get in where you might be eating a little too much. I know that's been happening to me. I've been sleeping a bunch extra. I've been Mm -hmm. eating a lot extra. So help us out with that, Hillary. How can we stop from eating all day long when we're just at home? I talked to a bunch of nutritionists and dietitians and chefs to try and figure out what's the best way to curb that constant comfort grazing or just eating out of boredom. And the one thing that all of them said is to make a schedule and to make sure that you're eating on a schedule. And it doesn't mean that you have to like plan out your menus or anything, but they just mean if you're someone who eats three meals a day, schedule it, say, okay, I'm going to have breakfast at 9am, I'm going to have lunch at noon and dinner at whatever time, because that adds structure to your day. So that cuts down on sort of the wandering. One of the things I noticed in the article, fresh produce, you were talking about how people attack the aisles, the panic buying, trying to get 
foods and things that would last a long time in the case that they had to be quarantined for two weeks, things like that. But people should not forget about that fresh produce. Don't be afraid to buy fresh produce, fresh fruits and vegetables. Number one, you can freeze most of them and they don't lose their nutrition content just because you freeze them. So if you want to get fresh berries or whatever, you can freeze them and use them later in smoothies or defrost them. And same thing with vegetables. But there are some fresh vegetables that do last quite a long time. I mean, bell peppers, broccoli, cauliflower, carrots, potatoes last forever. And then fruit like bananas, any kind of citrus fruit. So there are a lot of options for things that will last for up to like 10 days or so in the fridge. When we have things like this happen too, we always rely back on our comfort foods. I know a lot of people Mm -hmm. love to have this kind of Italian food. Pasta is a huge thing, but Mm -hmm. that's another one you got to be a little wary about. It can get tiresome if you eat too much pasta and then it's got a lot of carbs also. So we're stuck at home and there's a lot of carbs and we just want something yummy that we're used to. And so I actually called some chefs that are known for, you know, Italian cooking, because one of the things that you always hear is people say, oh, well, in Italy, they eat pasta and pizza every day. So, you know, and I'm pretty sure they don't (laughs) eat it every day. But the other thing is that I talked to chef Alex Gornicelli of Food Network. She was like, listen, people want to eat those comfort foods and it's okay. And even if it's like box of pasta and jar of sauce, like that's totally fine. Just try and increase the nutrition content. She said, the big question is how do you increase the nutrition content of that pasta and jarred sauce? And one of the easiest ways is to add a protein. She had said that when she was growing up, her mom used to put a can of tuna into the sauce, but there are all kinds of other options. She suggested even with canned goods, you could put chili in there or minestrone soup or chicken meatball soup or cooked lentils. She also recommended putting the sauce. Some of them I'm going to try later. (laughs) Very good. Um, (laughs) They're also saying the end of the world is coming. So let's just eat a bunch of crap food. Maybe Mm -hmm. try to stay away from that stuff. And also this could be the time to try some of that intermittent fasting, things like that, where if you're scheduling times to eat anyways, you can maybe try out some of these other diet routines. There is something to be said for if all your regular routines are out the window, why not try something new? And so one of the nutritionists I spoke to did mention periodic fasting or time-restricted eating. And it sounds a little scary, but the way they talk about it is that you just decide whether it's eight hours or 12 hours during the day. It's basically the idea that you're only going to eat during the day and you're not going to eat at night. So for example, you can decide, okay, I'm not going to eat breakfast until 9 a.m. and I'm going to stop eating after 7.30 p.m. or something. And I guess what they've found in studies is that when you restrict the amount of hours in the day that you have to just eat and graze, that people tend to consume less calories. So even something as seemingly simple as just delaying breakfast by a half an hour and putting a hard cutoff for dessert or whatever in the kitchen at night can really impact how your body craves food, I guess. Apparently, some studies show that it can reduce hunger. Hilary Potkowitz, contributor to The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.